we are continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We didn't get very far last week, but we got to build a little bit of background. Lord willing, we're going to move a little bit farther, handle our first concern. What we talk about here in Calvary Chapel, I, I'm a broken record. I say a few things a lot of times, and as long as it's from the scripture, it's good. One of the things that we say is wherever there's people, there's people problems. We're going to see that here in 1 Corinthians more than anywhere. I also say that we have a real God for a real world with real problems. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to see these two things, and we're going to see why we repeat them over and over and over again. Now, Paul has reminded us in the first nine verses that even though for the next several chapters, as he goes from complaint to complaint to complaint about things that need to be corrected in the Corinthian church, that they are and we are fully established in Christ. With all knowledge, he began the first nine verses of Corinthians. And now he's going to start from that firm foundation, which is Christ, that we are all believers, saints, fully established in him, and then he is going to start paddling us. Well, mostly the first Corinthians, or the Corinthians, but we're going to learn a lot. And hopefully, hopefully when you leave here today, you're going to have a better perspective of the church in general, of our church, and more importantly, of the first Corinthians. Why do I keep calling the Corinthians the first Corinthians? The the Corinthian church there in the first century. Let's pray, and then we're going to read verses 10 through 13. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you would continue to teach us. Throughout the generations, you used real situations and real problems that were there in Corinth there. And show us that there's nothing new under the sun that we deal with the exact same things today. The technology and the territory have changed, but the people remain the same. But we also thank you, Lord, that you remain the same, and the solution is the same. And we pray that you would lead us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And you can see why we didn't start this last week. I mean, it is a rocket ship. He goes straight to the matter. Now, Paul is in Ephesus. He's across the ocean, across the sea there in Asia Minor, what we would call Galatia in the New Testament, what we would say today, modern-day Turkey on the western coast. He's there in 55 AD with Cephas, and he's there and they're writing this letter back to Corinth. So the question became, how did he find this out? Well, Chloe's household, one of the important people of the Corinthian church, most likely a lot of church is happening in her house because the majority of the buildings at that time were all houses. They didn't have churches, unique, situ- unique buildings for the church to gather. It's believed that she is um, rather wealthy, that she has marketing and she has trade going on throughout the Mediterranean and that she sent some of her messengers, hey, when you're in Ephesus, I want you to go get Paul. There's some problems we got to deal with. I want to make sure he knows. 
If you remember last week, it's because Paul, Paul was used by God to plant the church in Corinth. There in Acts chapter 18. We could talk about that a little bit as we continue. And Paul hears this, and there's no gossip here. He's immediately calling it out. Hey, I heard this. This is what happened. This is very concerning. We need to talk about these things. And he addresses them. What does that have to do with us, some church gossip from Corinth back in 55 AD? Number one, there have never not been divisions in the church. I remember a time when I thought, man, you know, is the Lord really like in control? All these different denominations and church splits and all these breakups, all these different doctrines and different Bibles, different pastors and all these different things. I mean, if he was really the Lord, wouldn't everything just be perfect and everybody would be of one accord and everybody would be of one mind? Never. It has never happened ever because you cannot have unity apart from Christ. And wherever there is people, there's what? People problems. Let's give some illustrations. You've read the New Testament, I hope. How about those apostles? They were never divided, were they? Never argued, never complained, never said to each other, oh man, I'm way better than you are. I'm greater than you are. Now, if this is your first time, you may not know that I am loaded with sarcasm. <laughs> loaded for bear with it. Yes, that's all sarcasm. They were constantly bickering with each other, constantly or, uh, arguing. And Jesus is literally walking with them. He's literally there. And if you have divisions in your household, welcome to the family. Now, it's also important, just as important as it is to understand that there will always be problems in the church, that there will always be problems in the family, that there will always be conflict, is to understand 100% with perfect clarity how unity comes. It comes in submission to Christ. It comes in the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of rebellious men and rebellious women and bringing us into unity. Now, we see another thing here happen that is happening today and has always happened. That within the family of God there in Corinth in the first century, they began to pick who they were a disciple of. I'm a disciple of Paul. I am a disciple of Apollos. I am a disciple of Cephas, Peter. I am only a disciple of Christ. We do this unintentionally or intentionally today. I am from Calvary Chapel. I am a Calvinist. I am a Presbyterian. Or in the megachurch movement, I am fill in your megachurch plaster. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. I listen to this guy. I only listen to this guy. If you only listen to this girl, you've really got some problems to address. That's a sermon for a different day. But when we begin to focus on anything except for who? Jesus himself. We are going to speak about this over and over and over again. But if the spiritual leaders that you respect in your life are not pointing you to a deeper and closer relationship with Christ, you are in trouble. If you are following anyone, any speaker, any professor, any actor or actress, any leader of any kind, any politician, and that person is not drawing you and leading you into a closer relationship with Christ, you're being misled, intentionally or unintentionally. And it causes division. I could just name a couple pro, uh, political people right now, and I'll hear sighs and eye rolls and cheers. I, if I say the T word in here, then we're really people are going to go excited. 
Are you that excited about Jesus? Are you that excited about Christ? Are you glorifying his name? Are you magnifying him? Paul says it very pointedly in his three rhetorical questions. Is Christ divided? Is Jesus himself divided? No. We are one body in Christ. Was Paul crucified for you? Fill in the blank. Was that political figure crucified for you? Was that actor or actress crucified for you? That senator, that politician, that leader, that philosopher? Who was crucified for you? There is one Savior, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Anything else? Anything else is a waste of time. Let me put some people that I highly respect in my life. Pastor Chuck Smith. He was not crucified for me. He is a man, a preacher of God. I believe that he was uniquely called by the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, placed on this world for this generation, for this people. But he is not the Lord, nor would he ever claim it. The greatest thing about the spiritual leaders in my life, my pastor, Pastor Mark Galvin, his pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, is that they never took any glory on themselves, and they constantly pointed to Jesus. And I just copy them because I'm not that smart. And so, oh, that was a great service. Praise the Lord. The Lord is really doing something amazing there. Yes, he is. I am not crucified for any of you. And I will tell you right now, I will not be crucified for any of you. (laughs) If I get the option, I will say no. God bless you and your families. (laughs) Now, we know that these speakers that Paul is speaking of here in 1 Corinthians, they are all preachers of Christ. In fact, in chapter 3, Paul's going to say it in verse 5 of this book, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. The Lord empowers, the Lord does the work, it's his word that we teach, it's his body, it's his church, it's his people, it's all his. And we are ministers, those that serve him and teach. Ministers means servants. We are slaves, bond servants. If you were with us on Wednesday, we were talking about being bond servants back in Deuteronomy, about submitting yourself to a master. And we are servants to Christ. Does the servant glory in the master's work? You go to a, well, a restaurant around here, if you're blessed, you'll have a waiter or waitress. But if the food is good and the restaurant is great and you have a great experience, do you just be like, wow, waiter, waitress, you, you have an amazing establishment here. You have amazing food. You did an amazing job. All they did was bring the food to you and remember what you told them to bring. That's it. And you want to glorify them. They didn't cook it. They didn't make the ingredients. They didn't pay the mortgage on the building. They didn't have the argument with the health inspector to keep things open. They're not running the payroll. They're not doing anything. They're a face and a smile. Welcome to your pastor. (laughs) See, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. But why then... Why then was this an issue in Corinth? It's cultural at that time, and it's cultural for us because the Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. You see, they had philosophers and great speakers and orators. They had athletes, the bicentennial games that was taking place. They had rich uh, tradesmen. Remember the two ports on the western and eastern part of the Isthmus and the 
and the ships going across on their way to Rome and to the Orient. They had rich market people. They had business owners. They had the athletes, and they had the actors and actresses. Nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. We need to be very, very careful when we pick our leaders, especially as Christians. The Bible told us in Galatians chapter 1 to be discerning. In verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. That God, the creator of all things, descended onto this world, made himself into the image of a man, died on a cross for our sins, and was raised again. And that over 500 people saw him resurrected, and many of them confessed that miracle until their death that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. And that we follow him and submit to his will as he fills us with the Holy Spirit and has his way in us. We are not here to build big churches. We are not here to become popular. We are not here to become rich or famous or charismatic. Christ is preeminent. Jesus is first. And as a Christian... If we are glorying in ourselves and if we're looking to ourselves or if we're glorying in our church, I go to the biggest church in the town. Or if you come here, it's like, well, we actually teach the Bible at my church. (laughs) We're all proud of something. We should boast in nothing but Christ. That's what's coming up soon. We need to be Christ-focused. The first nine verses, last chapter, Paul doesn't even talk to the Corinthians other than to talk about the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, calling upon the name of the Lord, that we have grace and peace through our Lord Jesus. It is 100% focused on what matters, Jesus. In Colossians 1.18, to really emphasize the point, it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. If you're an underliner, highlighter, in all things. Preeminent means first and above all. Jesus, the Messiah, the Alpha and the the Omega, the beginning and the end. In Christ alone, we should not be known by any particular pastor. We should not be known by any man or woman, any denomination or church. We shouldn't be known for any building or family name, no politician. I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not a communist or a fascist. I'm not anything but Christ. I am a Christian. Now, I have strong convictions as a Christian, and as I obey the Lord, I follow those convictions as I submit to the Bible. But I submit to no man aside from Christ and who he has me submit to. I submit to no man except Christ and who he has me submit to. I'm a Christian. Now, in verses 14 through 19, it says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Paul's pretty spicy this morning. (laughs) Except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say, 
that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, Crispus, we know who he is, right, from last week. He was the ruler of the synagogue who in Acts chapter 18, he tried to lead the revolt against Paul, trying to stop the Christians. And then we read that verse together where the, the leader of the Romans at that time said, what do I care about your religious problems? And then Crispus's own people took him out and beat him. And the Roman guy's like, man, that's a bad day for you because he didn't care. And then we saw from the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, the, the very, I said Crispus, I, I meant Sothenes as well. Getting all my guys confused this morning. And he becomes one of the first converts. Crispus, along with Sothenes, converts very early on. Now, Gaius is a new guy. Gaius, where does he come from? Well, when Paul was in Corinth, Gaius is where he stayed. Uh, Gaius is written in Romans chapter 16, verse 23. My host and the host of the whole church greets Erastus, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother. So my host, he was staying with him, and the host of the whole, ch whole church means that the church was meeting in Gaius's house. They were all meeting together. So these guys that Paul was baptizing, verse 14, Crispus and Gaius, I've referenced Sothenes in verse 1 of chapter 1. These are personal friends of Paul. But he's mentioning them, but the emphasis is on, I thank God that I baptized none of you. This wasn't about adding personal disciples. I want to talk about pastorship and being a pastor, being a servant leader in the church. Paul is making it very clear that this is not about him. This is not about him going around and making disciples. He has to be very black and white because at that time in the Jewish quarters, the Jewish circles, the rabbis were known by their amount of followers. And as we know from the Pharisees, they would go around boasting in themselves, their long prayers, their robes, their trumpets. It was about making prayers and everyone seeing them. Jesus himself spoke against those things. He says, if you give and everybody knows, there is your reward. But then he showed the woman with the two mites and said, she has given more than all because she gave all that she had with no fanfare. Jesus himself did not emphasize baptizing. In John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the, the gospel records, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples... Now, you may be thinking, all right, Mike, are you telling us that baptism is not important? No. Baptism is a commandment from the Lord. Repent and be baptized. Be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as you identify to the world with Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. What is not emphasized is baptizing. Who is doing the baptizing? I'm going to let you behind the scenes, behind the curtain a little bit. 
There is nothing more awkward than being an assistant pastor or a youth leader at a baptism. Because you're sitting there, and you're there with the senior pastor. Especially, I did some baptizing in, uh, at Twin Peaks and California, big Calvary Chapel camp, lots of churches. And I'm an assistant pastor, youth pastor, with a small Calvary Chapel Lompoc group. And there's what we call some big shots, some mega pastors with us, and their team are with them. And so they're all, we're all together. We're in this big old pool, and the kids are coming down, and we're just baptizing them, and I'm just kind of sitting there. And this is the awkward part, because the line for the popular guys is like 20 deep. <laughs> and you're just kind of sitting there like, I wonder if I'm going to get like two. Hmm, who's going to come over here? But why do they do that? Now, this isn't entirely bad. It's just awkward. I'm not making a comment good or bad. You know, I wanted to be baptized by my pastor. I had a personal connection with him. So I'm not complaining in the slightest. It's just awkward. The, the, what I'm trying to get at, though, is as a Christian, we're more concerned with who is baptizing us than in whose name we are being baptized. He's the one that died for us, and we're concerned about who's going to see us, when we're going to do it, and who's going to do it. Nobody cares in the kingdom. Paul says, I don't care that I didn't baptize any of you. Even Jesus didn't baptize except a few. His disciples did it. Now, being baptized is a big deal. Hey, going to church is a big deal. Picking your church is a big deal. But the church organization, that's not a big deal. It can get in the way. Get in the way of what? Your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Have you been baptized? Are you focusing on Christ? Or are you allowing yourself to be divided? I'll give you one last example before we continue. Many people in this fellowship came from a different denomination. Were you nervous when you came the first time? It's like, I don't know if I can do this. This is not right. You know, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. I hear that all the time. I'm a Baptist. And then the first thing they do is they go, hey, how are you doing? My name's Kevin Icano. I'm a Baptist. That's the first time I met Kevin, like eight years ago. And it, it, you, you feel weird because we've divided ourselves. We're all Christ followers. Christ followers. Now, Paul quoted there, in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, when he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now we're going to have a subject change. We're not going to emphasize the teachers, but Paul is going to contrast the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Does that sound like a struggle that maybe we're going through right now in our culture? You know, when we have PhDs and doctors and supposedly some government employee, doctor, I don't know, starts with an F or something like that. Suddenly, he's like the wisest person on the planet for like four years. All of us have to bow down to anything that he says. Man, I wish we were as obedient to the word of God as we were to this random guy in his ivory tower. But we have the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And, every, and that we are constantly at war with what part of the wisdom of the world is scriptural, whether they know it or not, and what is not. What do I obey and what do I not? See, for these guys and gals in the church of Corinth to identify with their disciple, their teacher, their leader, 
That's culturally what they did. And they would have these orations and they would have these philosophical debates. I mean, we're talking about ancient Greece here. The foundation of the academic world in the Western world comes from these very philosophers. Again, guys, nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. And the Bible's still true. It was true then. It's true now. Going to continue to be true. When the Lord returns, guess what? Still true. The Bible will never pass away. The Word of God will never return void. Now, they are going to mention this word wisdom more than any other word as we continue through this chapter. Let's read verses 20 through 22. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Nothing, y'all, has changed. Nothing You think of all the wisdom and all the universities and all the PhDs and all the philosophy of all the doctrines of man, and it hasn't brought them one step closer to God. Meanwhile, I'm at some friend's house yesterday, and we're talking about a bat. And we're watching these bats fly around because it's the evening hours, and those things are little miracles. Yes, they're rodents with wings. I get it. But they can turn on a dime. They can drop out of the sky in an instant. They are using um, sonic waves. You, the scientists here are upset that I'm saying it wrong. I don't care. Echolocation, whatever it is. And they're able to find these bugs. Get them, boys. Get those bugs. Get them out of here. It's a miracle. And, of course, with my soft levels of sarcasm, I say, Well, I wonder how many millions of years it took for that rat to evolve to do that. (laughs) And all the philosophers of this world can't see what we can see with just one picture, one animal, the intricacies, the power of Almighty God. And yet we are still tempted to continue to go after the world's wisdom over the Scriptures. I cannot tell you how many times I've made the wrong choice in my life to choose the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God. I'll just use one because we're entering another chapter like this. I remember that realtor. It was the spring of 2007 in California. Housing prices only go up. You should buy. Oh, we can't afford it right now. You're going to have to get a 100% loan. I don't even have a down payment. Everybody does it. You should just do it. This is the way that the world works. And I remember distinctly a brother in the Lord saying, Hey, man, if that's what you could do, but a borrower is a slave to the lender. Yeah, 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 but that's, that's, old, that's old stuff. Well, you know in Proverbs it says a man should prepare his field before he prepares his house. Yeah, 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 that's old wisdom, that's old wisdom. And there I was. I don't know how they did it, but they figured out some way to give me money I didn't have or couldn't earn and couldn't pay back for a house that was going to suddenly drop in value within six months, lose 25%, in a year, half. That's lost half his value. I remember the year later... I had bought my house, three or four foreclosures on my street. The house across the street sold for half as much as my house was. If only I had just listened to the Bible with your marriage, with your work, with your business, 
with your relationships, with your mental health, with, your, with everything. Just trust the Bible first. And yet we continue to look to the wisdom of man And this is an American problem. It's just not a Corinthian problem. We look to speakers and actors and athletes and businessmen and women, scholars, academians, PhD, and and just because they're preeminent or prominent in our society in one given moment, we say, well, they they did something. It worked. I got to listen to them. Were they crucified for you? Did they create the foundations of the world? Did they write their DNA? God. Christ alone. And when we think of that, we can repeat what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Why am I trying to impress the world? The world is perishing. Paul says that here in the script. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? Has God not made the foolish made foolish the wisdom of this world? Remember in verse 18 in the previous section, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why are we leaving the power of God to go and look elsewhere? Why are we leaving the world of the word of God to go to the world? Why are we leaving the firm foundations of all creation to the weak and beggarly elements, the leftovers of the world? And then finally, before we continue, the world doesn't care one lick about us, do they? They'll evict you, they'll cancel you, they'll unplug you in the hospital. They'll kick you out, they'll make you lose your job. Suddenly, All of us were questioning our jobs when we wanted to say no about one thing. They wanted to shut down our businesses. Now, I'm not talking about public health. And in many of these areas, maybe these were the right decisions. I am simply stating the world did not care about you. But Christ gave his life so that you could live for eternity and made a way of salvation. And then he gave you his word. So when you lose all those things, what can separate you from the love of God? The Bible says nothing, not tribulation, not sword. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. The leaders and the rulers, the philosophers, God has made them all foolish. Who was the most famous actor in 1775? Nobody cares. Now, history nerds like me will be Googling that later (laughs) to find out who it was. Nevertheless, that person is in the grave. 1975, who was the most popular actor or actress? Now there's going to be a debate in the kitchen later. I'm going to tell you, if you're under the age of 40, you don't care. (laughs) Who are we looking to today that will soon be made foolish by time and the world? And yet Christ will continue. Now, verses 23 to 25. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because of the foolishness of God, 
is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, we're going to stop here. This is a battle cry. This is a banner. First and foremost, you go to a church, and they don't preach the gospel that Jesus Christ is crucified. That is not a church. That's a religious organization. Walk right out. You can vote with your feet. Turn it off. If it's self-help, if they're just telling you positive things, holding their Bible, you know, this is my Bible. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Oh, that's not possible. That's not scientific. Exactly. That's why it's kind of a big deal. (laughs) And if you don't hear about how our sins were taken away and fulfilled on the cross, completed by Christ Jesus, who atoned for us to make a way of salvation, that we're covered in the blood of Jesus, then what are you teaching? Nothing. Gobbledygook. Stop it. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. So Christians... Why are we trying to make it less foolish to the world? Why are we trying to make it more palatable? Repent and be baptized. That's the message. We don't yield to Christ. Man yields to Christ. We don't yield to Christ? What am I trying to say here? We don't yield to man God's word. They yield to God's word the same way that we did. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts man of sin, and God saves as many as who are perishing. As many as will be saved, God saves them because he does the work. We, remember, we are the waiter. Don't be trying to change the meal as you're taking it to the, to the table. If you saw your waiter taking food out of your plate on the way to your table, what would you say? No. No. What are you doing? Get your hands off my plate. Now, we're nodding our heads. We're saying yes. We're agreeing. But are we living it? Are you going to go out of this building and turn away from the foolishness of man and actually preach Christ crucified? That's what Paul says. We preach Christ crucified. Now, he says we. That means all of the teachers that they're picking, Apollos, Cephas, Paul, they're all teaching the same gospel. So he's telling the Corinthian church, stop dividing yourselves over the preacher and start looking to the ultimate pastor, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for many, by whom stripes we are healed. The rest of that stuff is just nonsense. Now he continues here in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that's me, not many mighty, guilty, not many noble, checkmark, are called. Well, I am, I am called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. Praise God. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. I don't like to think I'm weak, but I'll take it. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteous and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're in youth ministry, if you're an elder, if you are a Christian, even uh, the head of your household, this is you right here. This, this list of insults 
Not many wise, not many power, the weak, the looked down upon. Guilty, 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 guilty. Put to shame the wise. And the people look and they're like, how in the world? What is coming out of him? It is from Jesus. It doesn't come from me. Ask my wife. She's just as marveled as you guys are. Because it's the word of God. I'm not in the kitchen. I am just the waiter. I just smile. And then the people want to tip me. And I'm like, you're out your mind. I'll take it. (laughs) We want to give Christ the glory. If the church is getting the glory, shame. If the man is getting the glory, shame. The building, the people, the denomination, the congregation, oh, look at him. It's Pastor so-and-so. He's got 10,000 people and a podcast and a TV channel and five books. So? If he's preaching Christ crucified and giving the glory to God, then praise God indeed for all of it because it's the word of God. But if he's doing all those things in the name of Jesus, but not preaching Jesus and bringing closer to Jesus, then he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And shame on the people that are following him if they're called by God, if they are saints. Now, notice that all these problems, these things that Paul's calling out, they're coming from Paul. Paul is self-identifying here. If he is the, weak, the least and the weakest of all, then what does that make us? I praise God that in verse 31 we can say, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There is nothing good in me. As Paul says, I identify the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, yet not my will, but his will be done. The Corinthians were very impressed by worldly things and worldly people. And Paul is stating that the message is the exact opposite. The spiritual condition of the church in the United States today is the fault of Christians. The spiritual condition of the church today in America is the fault of Christians, not the world, not the culture, not the Lord. We must yield and obey him and follow after him. And whenever we fall into that trap of following a person more than following the Lord, Having banners of politicians, we need banners of Jesus. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. We need to be excited at his name. We need to preach his name. And as we follow him, then of course we follow our convictions. And then when we're following pastors, never put your pastor on a pedestal. And if the pastor is a follower of Christ, he will always put Christ on a pedestal. The same way that Christ would never glory in himself, he always gave glory to the Father. And the Holy Spirit never takes glory upon itself. It always points to Jesus. Always yielding, always submitting, always passing it on. And I pray that we can say what John said, less of me and more of him. I love what Wiersbe said in his commentary. He said, they were not wise, mighty, or noble. God called them. Not because of what they were, but in spite of what they were. The Corinthian church was composed primarily of ordinary people who were terrible sinners. Before his conversion, Paul had been very self-righteous. He had to give up his religion in order to go to heaven. I say some have to today as well. The Corinthians were at the other end of the spectrum, and yet they were not too sinful for God to reach out, to reach and save them. 
the same thing is true for us. If you leave here today, if there's anything I want you to know, if there's anything that I want you to remember, it's that Christ gets all the glory. He is preeminent. This is his church, his body. He was crucified for us. And that we are all Christ followers. We must remember what it says in Colossians 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, this is the portion that we want to take off on, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. This is, this is it right here. This is your take on verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in God and Christ Jesus. And Jesus said of himself, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Earlier in this sermon, we said that all the wisdom of God has brought no, all the wisdom of the world has brought no one one step closer to God. All of the philosophies, religions, and all of the influence of the world has brought not one person closer to God. But in Christ Jesus, is all wisdom and knowledge. That's something for us to celebrate, to follow and to look after. And so we want to glorify Him with our lives. We want to be a salt and a light to the world. And we want to stop looking to these churches and pastors. Stop looking to these athletes and philosophers and look to Christ, the Savior of our souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. We pray that you would continue to teach us and mold us throughout this week. We pray that you would help us to lay aside the things of this world, the things that are getting in the way, and help us, give us that desire, that fresh filling of faith and of your spirit to seek into your word daily, to seek your will for our lives, to grow in you, to be used by you, to see you in all of the world and in creation, and to share with the world the foolishness of the cross, which is the wisdom of God the only way of salvation. Let your will be done in our hearts and our lives and in this church as you see fit. And now more than ever, we want to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're happy to pray with you. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'll pray with you and speak with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.